Welcome to the Mental Models Podcast. I'm George Baxter, and I'm a hedge fund manager for SaberPoint Capital Management. I'm Dan Krawczyk. I'm a neuroscientist and professor at the University of Texas at Dallas. And together we explore mental models. That is how we view the world and what the world gives us for feedback. It's not a brain in a jar. That's the gist. Welcome back to the Mental Models Podcast. We are going to wrap up our series on investment process tips uh, as to how you would basically finish off the investment, assuming you've already executed it. So there's a a set of these episodes that we've been conducting for the last several months, uh, starting with idea sourcing, uh, how you vet ideas, the carrying out of fundamental research, and then analysis. And and so now, once we uh, have executed a position, which we assume we've done at this point in the chain, we're not done there. We want to see it uh, come to fruition or exit the process. And there are a whole variety of uh, factors that will impact us there. And then we'll talk today about things you can learn about uh, once you've uh, finished off and exited a position. So here, uh, while we are monitoring and reviewing a uh, position, we typically want to keep a close eye on our pre-mortem and our roadmap. Uh, typically, you can do this with a series of alerts uh, based off of certain price points. Also, as you see uh, various news arise that may affect your investment thesis, uh, then it may be appropriate for you to make an amendment to your roadmap, uh, but you want to do so very carefully with the notion that uh, you don't want to be overwhelmed by recent information where you're giving too much weight to that recent information uh, in making an investment decision. So it's good to, as new information arises, go back, look at your original investment thesis, look at your pre-mortem, see how the new information may change some of the factors that are relevant uh, that you came up with in your analysis. Sometimes it makes sense uh, if it's a big enough change that may want you to amend your uh, investment thesis that uh, you review it with the investment group, your investment club, or your investment team. Uh, But uh, one of the Issues that tends to arise where we see a lot of bias associated with this process outside of the recency bias uh, is once we decided that we are going to exit the position uh, and we do what's called a postmortem. Uh, postmortem is where you write down what actually occurred in the process of the investment. It's good to compare the postmortem to your premortem and see if you were able to anticipate in your premortem what it was that actually took place uh, and how the investment was ultimately resolved. If it was outside of what you anticipated in your pre-mortem, it's good to ask the question about what in your investment process led you uh, to fail to consider uh, this particular outcome. Right. And this is one of those cases where um, if you haven't already listened to the prior episodes in this series about really the idea of vetting the fundamental research and the analysis phases, definitely do so because we're assuming you've sort of already done those steps. Uh, Now, a lot of people don't, right? So it's important to point out uh, where we are right now in this process with uh, you've executed on a position and uh, you're considering exiting. That's kind of where a lot of the action is for a lot of people um, who may have kind of more rashly entered into a position uh, what we're advocating for is having done a lot of work up front, right? So you, you've gone through this uh, rather lengthy process of, of making a lot of careful projections 
And this is really critical when people think about how you avoid biases. Um, the critical steps come before you execute the position. It's how much you've put into it, how sound your reasoning is uh, before you invest that really helps you to avoid getting drawn into these in-the-moment sort of biases that are extremely hard to see coming and very hard to extract yourself from. So um, provided you've done that advanced work and have, for example, a pre-mortem about the position and considered how it is going to impact your general portfolio, and you've set in advance your exit point, we're assuming you've done all that, then uh, it's very helpful to look back on uh, the, the post-mortem and you'll get the most out of it if you put a lot in up front. So if you did a very thorough job on your pre-mortem, your post-mortem is going to be pretty easy to carry out and pretty effective. If you entered the investment rashly, post-mortem is going to be harder to carry out, but, but also important because what you're trying to do there is really just uh, determine what lessons uh, you, can, you can take from uh, this investment. And you may end up learning more from cases that didn't work out the way you expected. Uh, while those are more painful, they are going to be uh, sort of acute psychologically. And I think going through the process of trying to, to figure out where you might have gone wrong will make you a better performer in the future. The key when you're conducting this process is trying to develop additional nuances to your investment approach. It's a learning exercise. And it's important that you have that pre-mortem because let's say you have a desirable outcome. Well, if you have a desirable outcome uh, and you don't have a pre-mortem, then you may chalk up your investment process as being great, you know, that whatever you did was, was perfect. Which, which leads you to overconfidence in the future and illusions of control, which we've talked about on this podcast before. Imagine the situation where you've written the pre-mortem and you outline those circumstances in which you have had a desirable outcome. But the reality was that the uh, investment outcome, though desirable, had very little to do with what you predicted would be the outcome. So some other factor that you may not have noticed or may have overlooked was more important to the ultimate success of leading to price appreciation in the stock. There, too, is an opportunity for you to explore what you did during the investment process and see where there may have been a gap, even though you had that desirable outcome. Right. And so this is all a chance to uh, really get calibrated with, you know, how well did you do your work on this particular position? And certainly we want you to have good outcomes uh, in the short and long term. But with more of that playing the long game type of focus, um, always try to take credit for your good work when it paid off. Also acknowledge where your good work didn't pay off. And that offers a learning opportunity. So uh, when things don't work out, that's often what we call experience, right? It's simply uh, if you are honest about, you know, the details had gone well or poorly, uh, this is going to offer you insight. One of the biases that uh, tends to emerge with the postmortem, kind of looking backward, is uh, known as hindsight bias. Just as uh, the phrase goes, hindsight has 20-20 vision, uh, you can uh, sometimes mistake a look back at the events as having played out in only one definitive way and that you turned out to be absolutely wrong. Uh, and that's too blunt of a judgment. It's too broad. What you really want to go after here are what are the details? What, what did you get right and what did you get wrong? And in some cases, you may have had a very thorough pre-mortem and plan in place uh, and made a good call. It's just that something happened in the world that was unforeseeable and unlikely. 
at which point you should appropriately say, well, that, that didn't work out this time, but if I were to make that kind of investment many times in the future, it likely would work out because uh, it's important to note very unlikely unforeseeable events uh, and distinguish those from events that are much more common and likely to occur in the future. Well, and even in that instance, you can have something that uh, was a risk that you identified in your pre-mortem, but given the weighting of what you perceive to be the probability of various outcomes and the payoffs in a favorable outcome versus the costs of a negative outcome, uh, the decision made to make the investment was also probably fine. It was probably not the case that it was wrong just because you had an undesirable outcome. It's just that that risk that you identified came to fruition. And if you had made the appropriate decision on the appropriate size, given the magnitude of the loss associated with that risk in your uh, decision, and uh, you made the correct assessment of the likelihood of those outcomes, which may be difficult to assess in retrospect. But uh, if all of those things seem to line up, there's not necessarily a lesson to take from that instance. But often I find that when I look back, maybe I could have sized the position a little bit differently, uh, or maybe it was the case uh, that there was an issue that I should have perceived as a possible risk, but I discounted it. Uh, as being too remote, when in, in fact, it was more likely than I perceived it to be. And a lot of this, we talk about process a lot, investment process, not focusing just on outcomes. And if, if you stay true to your process, you'll probably um, do better in the long run. If you exited too early, and then things turned in your favor, you may have some regrets. But um, you don't want to deviate from that process, because more often than not, if you stick with something too long, you can do terribly. And there are a variety of biases that we get into once we hold a position for quite some time. One is known as the default effect or the status quo bias, where we simply let things ride, right? If things aren't dropping right now or going very wrong, we may have a tendency to just stick with them and not really monitor carefully and start to deviate from our initial plan uh, that we laid out. That's a very bad idea. Um, There's also the problem of the endowment effect, where you build up your own personal history with holding a position, you know a lot of details about it, you become emotionally attached to it, that can be very dangerous as well because these are cases where you might uh, deviate from your process and begin to uh, make sort of on-the-fly judgments, which are almost by definition going to be sort of gut instinct and less well-informed or thought out than if you stick to your process. That's right. And so at the end of the day, when you're thinking of evaluating your performance, Uh, It's better not to think just in terms of what your returns were uh, throughout the year, but how effectively did you implement your process uh, and whether you uh, did so in a disciplined manner and if the decisions that you made uh, were rational in light of uh, the facts that you were presented. So if you can focus again, on engaging in the craft as opposed to focusing on the outcomes, then ultimately there will be a much higher degree of consistency uh, in your ability to execute. Now, speaking of consistency, one difficulty is uh, known as the consistency bias, which is this uh, fear that we have that we might look like we're flip-flopping or appear to be whimsical if we change our mind about something. And this, this is kind of a one of those resolving your sort of internal state of mind with how things work in the world 
Um, the remedy here, or the best practice here, rather, is to probably just be as honest as possible in your postmortem analysis. It's, it's not important to save face and uh, cast yourself as the hero of the story where um, you're maybe attributing things that didn't work out too much to luck. You know, just be very honest about it and try to learn from your mistakes and own up to a mistake if there was one. Um, it's, it shouldn't affect the perception uh, you, you have of yourself or, or others' perception. I mean, it's, there's really nothing wrong with admitting to um, a mistake, provided you put in the work and followed your process. Uh, you'll probably have better outcomes in general. And uh, that's really the only way you're going to learn. If, if you want to gloss over and try to sort of sweep mistakes under the rug, uh, it may make you feel better about yourself in the short term. But uh, that's another one of those cases of emotional thinking where it's probably going to be detrimental if you keep doing that over and over. And within the context of an organization, I think it's also important not to be punitive uh, when mistakes occur. Because uh, the reality is you need to be able to embrace mistakes as learning opportunities. Now, if you make the same mistake over and over again uh, after having learned the same lesson, uh, that, that becomes problematic. But if we can walk away from our mistakes being better investors than we were before, then it's actually uh, a great opportunity for us to be able to grow and to develop. And to that end, we've always advocated maintaining a journal or a playbook, essentially, of all of the lessons that you have learned along the way. Conducting this post-mortem analysis gives you an opportunity to be able to identify circumstances that may justify an additional entry into the journal uh, or playbook uh, that will guide you in your future decision-making when you're putting together the next uh, potential investment. That seems like a nice way to learn from your errors as well as acknowledge your successes in a detailed way and thereby become a better performer. Um, That sounds like an awful lot of work. And if I had to say just one tip that if we had to give one piece of advice that would help you possibly avoid some pain is to use stop loss techniques. So uh, this is just really critical to exit a position uh, at a predetermined point and uh, just not wing it and get carried away. Um, so the quality of your pre-mortem, once again, or your plan going into the investment is going to be quite critical in, in making that call. But um, you'll avoid a lot of mistakes just by using that simple uh, advanced planning so that you're not overly led by all of these uh, attention and memory biases that uh, can come along as you constantly monitor a position. And uh, it takes away a lot of, a lot of that guesswork. Uh, typically, if you, if you do implement a stop-loss policy, um, there's a number of different ways to do it. Sometimes you may reduce a position uh, based off a certain level, stock price. Uh, one that we have implemented historically, we do have exceptions for these, uh, depending on what we anticipate to be the volatility, the sizing of the position, uh, and the level of advantage that we may feel like we have because of information. But typically, you can have a situation where if you, your stock is off 10%, you reduce by a third. If it's off 15% from your entry price, you may reduce by another third, and then 20% you fully exit. Uh, That can mitigate situations where uh, either you're on the wrong side of the probabilities uh, or you've just made a mistake. And often keep limiting your losses is one of the more important uh, means to be able to generate successful investing outcomes. Uh, So 
if you think about it, for instance, if you have a 10% loss, you have effectively have to make 11% on the upside to make up for it. If it's a 20% loss, I believe the math gets you to the necessity to come up with a 25% upside. But if you have a 50% loss, then on the next investment, you need to make 100% to make up for that loss. Those kind of illustrate the importance of taking your losses when you have them early. That doesn't mean you can't re-enter the position. Uh, Typically, our uh, approach is that if we do take a loss when we exit the position, uh, that we take 30 days before we'll make another decision. And we may choose to re-enter the position uh, without consideration of where the price is relative to where we took the loss, uh, because we have reassessed the information. And if our fundamentally we haven't seen any change, uh, then uh, there's no reason to think that the investment is worse than what we thought uh, initially. Uh, so it may seem counterintuitive and it may seem inefficient as opposed to just sticking with the fluctuating security, uh, but it can really save you from a lot of these psychological biases. For instance, you have loss aversion where you don't want to have to suffer a loss, so you remain inactive despite the fact that you may either be on the bad side of uh, some negative probabilities that you initially identified or that you could just be wrong. I'm reminded of Sun Tzu's The Art of War, that uh, the battle is won in advance, right? It's how much planning and effort uh, you've put in up front, uh, and then just simply executing according to that plan is really critical. What we've advocated for today in this episode is really taking a very honest uh, look at uh, deconstructing a position you've finished with, and uh, really try to make note of those lessons for the future and improve your process in general. And it's a very bad strategy to try to fight uh, behavioral biases as they emerge. Uh, It seems very unlikely that you would recognize them and be able to address them in the heat of the moment. Uh, In fact, many biases emerge in the heat of the moment, and the way to avoid them is to uh, coldly and calculatedly put in uh, processes that will reduce their chances of negatively impacting you. So uh, doing a lot of work up front and then. following your plan, and then you have another opportunity to do some nice work uh, after an investment, um, that's really where you can address these biases. Because again, they are extremely difficult to notice since so many biases have a very subjective feel to them. Um, And once you're experiencing a bias, it's probably too late to uh, really address it other than doing something rash, uh, which you don't want to do or or reacting emotionally. So um, in this episode, we've wrapped up our process tips for uh, how one would take an idea and do solid work on it, figure out what the plan is, execute the plan, and then learn from it. Uh, George, what are your uh, wrap-up thoughts here? Yeah, I think that's right. Just always remember that a bad outcome does not necessarily mean bad process, and that a good outcome does not necessarily mean good process. This reminds me of the story of the blackjack player who uh, was sitting there with 19 showing and the dealer had a uh, 10 showing and the blackjack player asks for a hit and he gets a two. Well, he ends up with a 21 and he beats the dealer. That's a good outcome, but very, very bad process. We don't want to be in that situation where we have successful outcomes and we make an analysis of that behavior and we assume that it is a good move to go and take a hit when you've got 19 showing. Uh, Likewise, 
Uh, we don't want to be in a situation where we've got 19 showing, we stick with the hand, and the dealer ultimately wins, and we decide that that was a bad approach. You know, you want to be able to make the ideal decisions without focusing necessarily on the outcomes. Right, and that story uh, highlights some of the core aspects of of why biases are so difficult. Um, It's fraught with bias. We tend to give credit to the person who got 21 and think they're, wow, how'd they ever see that? And they, you know, when in reality, it would be a bad decision that if you played that 10 times over, you'd lose almost every time. So you don't want to celebrate lucky windfalls too much. And you also don't want to punish yourself too much for uh, sticking to a process and it it happening to have turned out badly for, for unforeseeable reasons. So if you're interested in learning more about this topic, we encourage you to buy our book, Understanding Behavioral Bias, that's bias in capitals with the S being a dollar sign. And in that uh, book, chapter eight is all about this topic, these process tips, best practices that we advocate for that'll help you to avoid a lot of the different biases that tend to trap us and uh, confuse us in our investing. Until next time, we're out. Thank you for spending your time listening to the Mental Models Podcast. Content matters because your brain does not exist in a jar. Please subscribe. Visit mentalmodelspodcast.com for updates on Dana George's upcoming book release titled Understanding Behavioral Bias, a Guide to Improving Financial Decision Making. Also available on mentalmodelspodcast.com are show notes, book reviews, and upcoming behavioral finance seminars with Dan and George. The Mental Models Podcast can be found on SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, and Twitter. Please subscribe, and thank you for listening.